Welcome to the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast, where we untangle the past, rewrite the present, and reclaim our future. I am your host, Tammy Vincent, and together we will break free from old patterns, heal wounds, and create new narratives. Are you ready to transform the effects of your dysfunctional past into your superpowers? Are you excited to get back in touch with your true authentic self? If so, then hit subscribe and join me weekly on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. Here we will learn from experts as well as experienced thrivers how to turn our trials into smiles while living our most authentic and joyful lives. Good morning, everybody, and glad to have you back again. Today, we have a special friend with us, and her name is Ray. She grew up with an extremely violent brother and parents who enabled him while neglecting to protect her. When she was about 20 years old, she became ag agoraphobic, leading to about seven years of fighting to be able to even leave her house again. Now, fast forward, she's in her 30s, running her own successful business, happily married, and creating the life of peace she had always dreamed, dreamed about. I'm also very curious to ask her about her menagerie of animals that she lives with. <laughs> so welcome, Ray. Happy to have you here today. Hi, thank you for having me. So before we even get started, tell me about this menagerie of animals, because I'm super curious. Okay, so we've actually just recently added even another animal since the last time I talked to you. So I have three dogs, two cats, two bunnies, a ferret, and a hedgehog now. Oh, <laughs> so nine animals. They all live in the house, huh? Is that nine? That's nine. <laughs> <I lost> track. <laughs> But I love the hedgehog. Does the hedgehog get along with the with the um, the dogs? Um, the dogs are absolutely fascinated by him, but he is kind of terrified of them. Um, so he's actually only been in the house since uh, Thursday night, actually, and he hasn't had a lot of time to adjust yet. But he's yeah, he kind of pokes his quills out and snuffles a whole bunch whenever the dogs come too close to Aww. him right now. <laughs> Well, he's going to grow up love. Those dogs will end up loving him and sleeping with him and everything else, just like pets usually do. So we'll see. Yeah. I'll check back in six months. We'll see how that's going. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about you. I mean, I know you were talking about the fact that just all of your like abuse and your trauma and everything did not stem for your parents as normal, but it was actually from a sibling. So tell me about your story. Yeah. So I'm actually two years older than my brother. And usually when I sell, tell people that, you know, my abuser, the person that I was afraid of growing up was my brother, they assume that it was an older one. Um, but just right from the gate, he was very violent and just volatile. The, the tiniest thing would set him off, even when he was very young. And it was that like, you know, the whole analogy of a mom who sees her kid trapped under a car and she's able to lift it because of all of that adrenaline. She has to save her kid. He was that way, but it was anger. And so even when he was like five years old, he could like Hulk smash our couch, like pick it up and throw it across the room kind of thing. It was terrifying. Whoa. And it would come from something as simple as being asked to help clean up the yard after the dogs or something as simple as, oh, help me with the uh, unloading the dishwasher or something like that, you know, wasn't anything super, you know, above and beyond. Um, 
And so you would think at least that then my parents would kind of step in and be like, you know, explain that this behavior wasn't acceptable. They'd get him help that he needed, whatever the case may be, but that just never really happened. And instead they kind of started treating me like I was his third parent and I was responsible for monitoring and trying my best to kind of like eggshell step around his volatile behaviors Mm -hmm. and And then it was like, oh, well, your brother flipped out when we asked him to help with taking out the trash. So now you need to do it instead. And it was, oh, your brother is throwing a screaming, like violent fit. We can't go do whatever, you know, we, we can't go to the beach today. We're going to have to stay home because, well, your brother's throwing a fit. We can't reward him with going and doing this fun thing that you've been looking forward to forever and stuff like that. And then um, just more and more of like me having to kind of pick up his slack for better or for lack of a better word. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, that in itself is just terrifying. Did he ever get help? No, uh, my, my parents, they scheduled like a single meeting with a therapist who just kind of, I don't, I don't know if she was very effective for him and that didn't go very well. And so they just kind of gave up on it and never tried again. That was it. I mean, that, that would be terrifying as a parent, but I mean, (laughs) I mean, like to have a five or seven year old kid throwing furniture. And I've been a teacher in a classroom with a child that was like throwing furniture and chairs from the slightest thing. You know, if he didn't yeah. like the way somebody bumped his arm or, you know, whatever it was. And I just can't even imagine living with that 24 seven, but yet to put it off on the daughter, like here, you deal with it because I can't, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the aggression was clearly probably a lot of times centered towards you because you were small, you were a victim, like you were small. Mm-hmm. So you were an easy yeah. target. Yeah, it was like littlest things. Like if we were trying to play a board game together and I was suddenly doing better at it than he was, like the game wasn't even over. I hadn't even won, but it looked like I could. Then he would flip out, throw everything around. He'd scream so loud that he would like rattle the windows. And it was it was terrifying. And he would eventually get to the point where he was even violent towards my parents. So you're right. You'd think that they would have been scared enough to do something about it, even just for their own safety, but it just never happened. So, I mean, I know this is probably personal. Well, the whole thing's personal, but like he never, like, is he, you obviously have no contact with him. Do you still keep in touch with him or? Uh, I get a couple of texts from him a year, but that's about the extent of it. I haven't seen him in a few years and Um, I don't really want to like as awful as it is we were never close because how can you be if you're terrified of them all the time so it doesn't really feel like I've lost anything because there wasn't ever anything there to begin with but he'll send he'll send a Merry Christmas or a Happy Birthday text sometimes (laughs) not every time Uh, and and that's the, the extent of it and I honestly prefer it that way. I mean, it's almost just easy, easier. And I mean, what at this point could you even say? Because obviously that was something that was in him. So whether or not exactly whether or not he's still he's still kind of like that. It's just not as explosive, I guess. 
he's able to manage it a little bit better now, but there's still always that simmering rage underneath, which is just way too triggering and terrifying for me to be around. I, I can't even imagine. So you said he fit. So did he physically hurt you on a regular basis? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there was. There were several times when he would just like grab whatever was nearby and he would either threaten or just go ahead and start hitting me with it. Uh, We had like a wiffle ball bat in the basement that was a favorite of his. And then he would graduate to baseball bats. Um, There was one point, even when I was 19, I was fully grown and I was, I mean, I'm a heavier set woman. So I was bigger than he was, but I had my, my puppy in my arms and I was standing right near our basement stairs. He tried to shove me down the basement stairs. Thankfully I managed to catch myself and my puppy. He's fine. He's 13 now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, it was, he, he would punch me. He would kick me any, any form of violence. he, He, he probably did it at one time or another. I mean, amazing that he's not incarcerated, like amazing that he's not in jail somewhere for killing someone. I mean, literally. I'm shocked. I'm shocked by that all the time. Absolutely. So do you, I know you are thriving now, have your own business, you're married, everything else. Did you ever discuss this with your parents? Like, are you guys on better terms now or, or where? Um, my father and I haven't really been in great, on great terms, um, it it was kind of a weird, complicated situation that I don't quite understand still when he and my mom got divorced um, years and years ago, things just kind of went sideways really quickly. And he, I guess, decided I was on my mom's, you know, quote unquote side and uh, didn't want anything to do with me anymore. And so we don't have a lot of contact. There's a few texts or emails every now and then, but that's pretty much the extent of it um he's halfway across the country from me as well so I don't ever see him and my mom you know she 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 tries she tries to acknowledge the the ways that she kind of let me down a little bit but there's still an awful lot of progress that needs to be made and I'm not sure if she knows how so we haven't had like the the full-on come-to-Jesus talk, I guess, explaining just how much it hurt and affected me, just because I'm not sure that she's emotionally able to give me what I would need from that interaction. Right, and honestly, the fact that, I mean, the guilt on her side, too, would be a whole other issue she would have to deal with, because if she does come to terms with that, it's going to be a lot of healing she's going to have to do, because you know, you have, you have one job as a parent, it's protect, protect and love your child, you know? And it's, I feel like that that's 50% was forgotten that whole protect, the whole protect thing. So you said when you were you for seven years, you could barely come out of your house. Talk about that. Yes. So it's, it seems like it was a whole other person when I talk about it now, and a lot of times people don't believe me if I say that, you know, my, it's my two truths and a lie. People never, <laughs> never guess it. But um, so, yeah, right around my senior year of high school, I started developing really, really bad anxiety and I was sick a lot. I had a lot of digestive issues going on and that kind of fed into the anxiety even more where I was even more worried that, you know, I was going to be out somewhere and 
need to use the bathroom and wouldn't be able to find one. There'd be a line, whatever the case may be. So it got harder and harder for me to be able to enjoy leaving my house. Mm-hmm. And I was working at PetSmart at the time, and I absolutely loved my job. It was the best job I had had up until that point. And it just got to the point where I was having digestive issues like multiple times every shift. And I was getting in trouble for, you know, like disappearing off of the, the floor for a while. And I got to the point where I was just like so full of shame at having to explain why I had mysteriously gone absent for 10, 10 15 minutes that it was just easier to call in sick. And eventually you know, I left that job, I got a different job at a vet clinic. And I eventually lost my job there because they, they didn't like that I spent so much time in the bathroom, or I had so many sick days. And it was, it was kind of a breaking point, where I felt like I I couldn't have a job anymore. Nobody was going to be understanding. Nobody was going to be okay with me needing more flexibility. And like not being able to put me on a cash register because I wouldn't know if I would need to run to the bathroom again or something like that. So I didn't, I didn't try as hard as I probably should have (laughs) to get a new job after losing that one. And when I couldn't find another one that fit, I just kind of gave up. And for a while I was still able to do to, you know, go around town and get my groceries and go to doctor's appointments. But it was, it was really hard. I had to be heavily medicated to be able to leave the house. I had to have a safe person with me. Um, It was just, it wasn't good. And then I'm not even sure it was so kind of sneaky how it happened where one day I just realized I hadn't been able to leave my house for a couple of months. And then it got to the point where at one point I had something going on with a tooth that was, it was hurting so bad. I was scared that I was going to have like a really bad infection or something like that. And it turned out I had just, I had cut something along the gum line and it was just taking forever to heal. But I didn't know that at the time. And I kept trying to go to the dentist And every time I would have this massive panic attack and I wouldn't even be able to get halfway down my street. And I remember sitting on the phone with the dentist's receptionist asking, is there any way that your dentist does house calls? Do you know of anybody that does house calls? Because I keep trying to leave my house and I keep having to uh, cancel my appointments last minute. And I know you guys are really pissed off about that. I would be too, as a business owner. But I, I promise I'm not jerking you around. I just, I can't get there. <laughs> God, imagine. And yeah, that was kind of when it really hit home that it was a big problem. I couldn't even get out long enough for, it would have taken like an hour or two at most for me to go to the dentist's office and come back. And even that was too much. So it was, it was terrifying. I can't even imagine. So what was your, so how long did this go on? Like you said you were for months at a time. What was the longest stretch that you did not leave your house? The longest stretch I didn't leave my house was probably close to two years. Wow. Yeah. And even then the other times when I was technically able to leave my house, it was for 
you know, there would be a late night trip to the emergency room where I had no other choice or something like I needed medical care and nobody would come to me. So I had to go to them kind of thing. It wasn't like, oh, hey, I was able to have a job for a little while or I was able to go out and enjoy doing things. It was as as simple as, oh, I, I had to go to the ER. So technically I left my house. Right. Right. So you didn't go do anything productive. You just no. literally survived and did what you, the bare minimum. Exactly. So do you remember the turning point that you were like, okay, I need help. I need to be able to leave my house. I, what, do you remember what you were doing or what you were thinking or how it came about that all of a sudden you realized this is not what I want to do? Sure. Um, I mean, there were a lot of those. (laughs) I tried a lot of different medications and therapists and all kinds of things over the years and nothing was ever, nothing was ever enough to work, I guess. And so I do remember there was a turning point. It was about three years before I was able to start my business for myself. And, um, it was around Christmas time and, I was at home with my, this is, uh, this was my first husband and I was really sick. I had gotten to the point where I hadn't been able to eat in like two weeks without it, it coming right back up, whatever. And it was just, I was weak and frail. I had lost so much weight that I had no muscle anymore. So like standing up for longer than five minutes or so was painful. So I was essentially bed bedridden at the same time. And I was in the bathroom and I was so sick and in so much pain. And I remember feeling like, all right, right. You have to get yourself together either. I, I mean, honestly, trigger warning here because I was suicidal at the time. I was like, either you need to go ahead and just off yourself so that you no longer have to struggle like this, or you have to do absolutely everything in the world to stop it to get better somehow, just whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. And I was too afraid to actually end my life. So I went the other route and, um, I, I created what I called like little boot camps for myself and I wouldn't allow myself to sleep in my bed at night because at that point too, I had become so agoraphobic that I was struggling even to leave my bedroom. Mm. And so my first step was I had to create a bedroom for myself downstairs in the living room instead. I wasn't allowed to have my comfort space. And then it was, I, I like made a reward system for myself. I had to leave the house at least twice a week. Didn't have to be for anything super long, but I had to just do it. And, uh, I had a little garden in the backyard that was kind of my pride and joy. So my reward was usually, I got to get another plant for my garden. Okay. <laughs> I got to get like a tomato plant or whatever else. And so I was only allowed to get one at a time. So if I wanted to get another plant, I had to go out again. Right. And that was a pretty good motivation. And there were a few times that I would embarrass myself pretty badly in public. And then that would set me back for a while. Right. And at the time I was also trying to recover from the massive like malnutrition. So I was still really weak and it would just, it would take everything out of me to go outside of the house, even for half an hour. Um, so it took, yeah, about three, three years to finally get to a point where I was functional enough 
uh, to open a business from my house. And it was a, a dog grooming business. Oh, nice. I had, I had learned the basics back when I worked at PetSmart. And then I did an apprenticeship and everything. So I was like, well, I have this garage. It's well insulated. So I just converted my garage into a little grooming salon. And I had people come to me and they got the the one-on-one dog grooming. And that worked really well. I put my first husband through grad school that way. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. So what was your husband saying through all this? Was he? He was. He was confused. He he didn't know what to do to help. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I needed. So I couldn't very well tell him. And he was just kind of, he was, he was always the one that had to go out and, and get our groceries for us at that point. So he would just do the best that he could. And he was supportive and he was helpful. It just, it was kind of almost like enabling a drug addict, but I called myself like a comfort addict. I, I needed the comfort. I needed to feel safe and it wasn't healthy, but it kept me alive. <laughs> yeah. No, you were addicted to your home flat out yeah. <laughs> and nothing was going to get you out of that. You know? Yeah, you're right. And that's, yeah, I, that's, I'm just like trying to picture like, what would I have done? Like, if that was my husband, what would I have done? Like, would I have like forced him? I mean, you can't force anybody to do anything they don't want to do. So I guess exactly sort of was the best he could do, but how strange of a situation for somebody on the other side too. Like that was, is that what broke the marriage up or? Ironically, no, um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a whole bunch of other things. Honestly, I felt like we were more like best friends than we ever right. were like romantic partners. And it just took a while for me to get my feet under me and, and realize that. And things ended amicably. It wasn't, it wasn't awful or anything like that. It was just, we weren't, we weren't meant to be together right. and that was okay. But you're happily married now. So that's what matters. Yes. Right? <laughs> I always say the first one's just a learning experience anyway. That's like the practice yeah, it's like the first pancake. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The first pancake is always burnt, always bad on one side. <laughs> always. Oh, that's funny. I never thought about the that analogy, but you're right. You're That's perfect. Um, so you're married now. Do you have the same business? Um, it's, a, it's a little different now, actually. Um, now I am a mobile dog groomer. So I go to my clients every day. <laughs> I work out of like a big van. And it has everything in there that I need in order to groom a dog. So I've got like a tub and a giant tank of water that I fill up every day. And then I travel all over my state and I groom people's dogs for them right outside of their house. That's awesome. It's funny when you mentioned the dog grooming business coming into your garage and I was like, ah, I was like baby steps, girl. That's exactly what I was picturing. (laughs) Okay. Your next step is to get a van and go out because we have mobile dog groomers everywhere where I live in Florida. I see them all over the place. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, and I was like, is there really a market for that? But then I find people going, you know, I find myself going, yeah, I really don't want to, when I had a Cocker Spaniel, yeah, I really don't want to drive (laughs) 40 minutes. I wonder if they'll just come here and clip her nails, you know? Absolutely. That's funny. That's an amazing turn, like smart. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, it almost happened to you in a great time and a great time when the internet did exist. Uh Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I'm trying to picture being stuck in your house, you know, for three years, 25 years ago. Yeah. Where you literally would have just literally probably driven yourself crazy just 
Oh, I definitely did. Any kind of connection, you know, no connection. There wasn't the internet. There wasn't really, you know, any kind of like zoom meetings, you know, you couldn't, there wasn't work at home jobs. There was none of that. So I guess it's it's a blessing and a curse that you were born then when you were, I guess. So, but that's great. I mean, I, I just can't even imagine but we all have our fears and it doesn't matter what the fear is. It is so, de- it can be so debilitating. I can, it is. I can only imagine I, you know, I watch some of those shows like monk and the OCD and the, and I can yeah. see how it happens. I can see how that fear just literally encompasses you. Now yeah. it, it's funny that, I mean, to me, again, I'm not, I've never been in that situation, but you would think getting out of your house would have been what you wanted the most after living in a house that was so frightening. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Like, or for me, I think it was mostly like, it it was almost like an overcorrection where as soon as I had left my parents' house, I was like, okay, this is my house. It's my safe place. Nobody can come in without my permission. I have the control here. So I'm just never leaving. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, so it was the fact that it was different from being in someone else's house and different from having, you know, my parents were very much like the, my house, my rules. So it was, I don't have to follow someone else's rules. I can be as weird and, and crazy and scared as I need to here. And nobody's going to tell me otherwise. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that makes, that makes a hundred percent sense. It's a, it, yeah. it's almost like you took back control of your life and it's exactly you, your brother wasn't there to hurt you anymore. Your parents weren't there to make you pick up his messes. It's, I can, I can see how it could happen for sure. Um, Absolutely. The other question I had, this is just kind of, I know this is a logistical question, so it doesn't really even matter, but when you lost your job in that period, how mm-hmm. are you surviving? Um, well, <laughs> or is that when you met your first husband? Well, I had already been married with my okay. first husband. We okay. got married like right out of high school. So again, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. Right. Um, and he was, he was a college student at the time. And he was also working at uh, like a, one of those office supply stores that I don't even think exists anymore now. And um, so he essentially took care of me. Um, because he was getting like his, um, his like housing allowance and everything Uh for school. So I didn't have a ton of expenses except for medical expenses. Um, since I wasn't going anywhere or doing anything, I was a pretty, pretty cheap cheap picture in the house. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I pretty much just kind of had to live in on a tiny little budget. And I just lived in whatever housing we could afford with his uh, university, like housing allowance. And we made do. And eventually we did actually have to declare bankruptcy because of all of the medical debt, because of all of the health things that I was going through at the time. Right. So like, it wasn't just my brother that caused all of the agoraphobia. It was also, I have severe Crohn's disease. So during all of that time, it was undiagnosed. I I felt like I was going crazy. I couldn't get anybody to give me answers, stuff like that. So all of those late night trips to the hospital and all of that kind of stuff just added up over time. So eventually we we had to declare bankruptcy and we kind of started all over again, but, um, 
yeah, it was just pretty much, I mean, I used the internet all the time to like teach myself how to make things that I needed. I joke that that was like my hippie face. <laughs> right, right. I was, I was saving as much money as possible. I was making our laundry detergent from scratch. I was crocheting new dishcloths that we needed instead of buying them, all of that kind of stuff, any way that I could to save, save money. Well, and you had nothing to... but time. I mean, you exactly. were nowhere to go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no pun intended, but I mean, sure. Right. But oh my gosh, what a crazy, like amazing story though. And, and crazy in the thinking of how it can all happen, like just, but it, it's so makes so much sense. It makes perfect mm-hmm. sense how somebody going through something like that could happen. I mean, I appreciate you coming on here so much and hopefully somebody will hear this that is going through what you went through. So thank you so much for coming on. Of course. But before I say goodbye, I want to, if, if somebody is listening to this and they are kind of resonating with this, or they haven't left their home and they're scared and they're suffering those like bouts of anxiety and, and maybe at the beginning stages, or maybe they've been in their home for two months, you don't know, but what are some, maybe some words of wisdom or something you might suggest to them? One of the most helpful things that I repeat to myself on my high anxiety days and whatnot is screw the rules. It doesn't matter how you act or anything. If, if somebody sees you acting, you know, weird because you're having an anxiety attack, you're never going to see them again. Who cares? You don't have to live in fear of being humiliated. You don't have to live in fear of not having any control because in the grand scheme of things, everybody's weird in some way, shape or form. And if somebody catches you being weird, it's not going to be the end of the world. I love it. Love (laughs) love it. Yeah. I love the simplicity of it. Just be, who cares? You're not going to see these people again. So live out your best life. So thank you so, so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome. And for those of you listening, boy, did she just put it in the most simplistic terms you could absolutely ever do. It's nobody's, it's, it's not your business what other people think of you. So it just doesn't even matter. Absolutely. (laughs) You all have a great day and we will talk to you again. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. If this episode resonated with you or you think someone else could benefit from what you heard, why not share it with someone you care about? Let's heal from our past and take back control of our lives together. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to www.tammyvincent.com for a free chapter of my book, Surviving Alcoholic Parents. While you're there, be sure to catch my invigorating seminar, Awakening Your Authentic Self. Together, we will rewrite our stories and turn trials into triumphant smiles. Until next time, keep embracing your strength, keep being you, and know that you are more than enough. You are way more than enough right here, right now.